power brokers, the while of power will fall. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler. We've got a great guest on tonight on a fresh new show in this uh, end of October 2021 days. An award-winning professor for 37 years from Metro State University. A real rabble-rouser, and at 76, he's still causing trouble. And we're going to get the story about his kerfuffle with his employer for the last 37 years. And that's going to be a freewheeling discussion because Monty's a really smart man and has a lot to say. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you my good friend, Professor Monty Butte. Monty, how are you feeling tonight? I'm I'm doing okay, and it's good to hear your voice, even if I can't see your face. I always enjoy <laughs> these go-rounds. Well, you, you know, you uh, have knocked on heaven's door so many times. Who's ever behind that door knows you're not. Tell us a little bit about uh, your summer and uh, give the folks out there in the Wall and Power Radio Overland uh, the different health difficulties you've been going through over the last few years. Well, uh, various things. The, the worst additional thing is uh, I had uh, a major uh, epileptic seizure my first one uh, about three years ago. And uh, your chances of having repeat seizures when you're elderly, uh, your chances for a life-ending stroke increase by three times. And this summer I retired in uh, May, and was going to take the summer off uh, and had a bunch of friends in for uh, 10 days to my cabin. And I went down with another seizure. Wow. And that curtailed my driving for 90 days. But worse than that, um, I started having congestive heart failure so bad that it was life-threatening. Um, the doctor put me on what I call pee pills. Uh, they're diuretics to get water off you. I got rid of 16 pounds of water in seven days. That's how bad wow. it was. And, and congestive heart failure, when people die of it, essentially they drowned, <clears throat> which most people don't realize. So she immediately rushed me in, and uh, they did uh, an angiogram on me. They gave me three new stents, and there were two old ones that were so clogged that they had to do basically sandblast them. Uh, And that brings me to a grand total of 10 stents in the last 20 years. Wow. So there are days I'm amazed I'm still flying the flag. <laughs> well, I was lucky enough to be at your retirement party the end of May in St. Paul at the Day by Day Cafe, and I have to say you look no worse for the wear. No, it's it's 
you know, I always say the the devil still has work for me to do. That's why he <laughs> keeps me around. And uh, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about tonight, Professor Monty Butte, is your latest kerfuffle with your longtime 37-year employee, Metro State University. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about the creation of Metro State University. Yeah, this is its 50th anniversary this year. And it was, at the time, the sort of the dean of higher education in America, the head of the Carnegie Foundation, called it, before it even opened its doors, the most radical and innovative institution in America. It started off with no buildings, no classes, no grades. The city was its classroom, and every student worked out their own curriculum. You had to have two years of college already accomplished before you got in the door, but then you created your own BA, and you did each course you took was really working with a single person. And often these were what were called community faculty who were, who were widely experienced in the real world. This wasn't a lot of academic pablum. And you devised this and did it. So it started off as an adventure and an adventure that was changing higher education every place. Um, so this, what has been, that lasted for maybe 17 years. And then the state and bureaucrats discovered this place. It had been sort of out there and sneaking under the radar. And gradually they tried to take it over and turn it into just another podunk state, like St. Cloud, like Mankato, like Moorhead. And so it's been a constant resistance movement among many of the old-timers to stop this from being turned into a bureaucratic credit-distributing operation. You know, Monty, I could have almost applied. I did two years of what a lot of people don't uh, remember the term, a junior college in my hometown of Virginia, Virginia, Minnesota, called Misabi State. Uh, We used to refer to it as high school with ashtrays. Um, (laughs) I did try to further my career and try to get a music degree at the University of Minnesota, but I dropped out the night before the first finals and decided uh, my route in life was going to be carrying a guitar at my side, which I've done. But I've been fortunate to run into like-minded people like you. You were uh, recently, in an article in the Minnesota Reformer, referred to as a rabble-rouser, which you've been during your whole career, as far as I know, and which doesn't surprise me because you spent some of your formative years, uh, if my memory serves me correct, at the Red Wing Reformatory. Yes, 
I was I did two stints in that juvenile prison, and the first time I was a simple-minded farm boy who was so far in over his head. By the end of my second term, I had acquired a lot of moxie, and uh, I could take care of myself. But that became a springboard. I decided to recreate myself, and for the next 60 years, it's just been strap on the seatbelt because here we go. At Metro, at go Metro, ahead. how I, I oddly got going at Metro is an old friend of mine that I had done stuff with, and uh, he was teaching there, and he said, uh, "Hell, you should create a course here." I did. It was called Interpersonal and Social Power, A View from Below. And before I knew it, I had taught there for seven years without a B.A. Hmm. The administration finally discovered this and was quite alarmed. So the faculty asked me to put together all my writings have two days of oral interviews, and they granted me a B.A. Not long yeah. after that, I was teaching, and they fired 17 of us that did not have Ph.D.s. Well, a large group of students arranged a meeting with the new interim president who had fired us all. And they had enough moxie that they brought a Minneapolis Star Tribune reporter along. And the greatest line from it was a woman named Melanie Hardy. She said to the president, I understand the need for credentials and all that, but don't let that get in the way of my getting a real education. Hmm. So from there, I had to cook up in six months a master's degree, which the students forced the president to acknowledge that that would be enough instead of a Ph.D. And I wrote that based on 50 boxes of files on Metro's history. So I essentially recreated the creation of Metro between 1968 and 1972. So that's how this all started, and it's been, you know, the story of my life is catch me if you can. <laughs> well, I want to play you in the film version. We've got Professor Monty Butte on for the whole show tonight on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We're going to listen to a little music and uh, get back with Monty for the whole show tonight. Oh, the age of the inmates I remember quite freely. No younger than twelve, no older than seventeen Thrown in like bad 
bandits and cast off like criminals All inside the walls on the grounds of Red Wing From the dirty old mess hall you march to the brick wall Too weary to talk and too tired to sing And it's all afternoon you remember your hometown All inside the walls, the walls of Red Wing Oh, the gates are cast on and the walls are barbed wire Stay far from the fence with electricity sting And it's keep down your head and stay in your number All inside the grounds of the walls of Red Wing Let's fare well to the deep pile of dungeon Welcome back to the second set on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz. And my guest for the whole show tonight, a good friend and rabble-rouser and uh, hero in several circles in the Twin Cities, Professor Monty Butte. Monty, I want to tell you, I spoke with one of your former students before uh, we called you this evening, a fellow by the name of Cray McCauley, who took a philosophy course from you. <laughs> he said it was one of the hardest courses he ever took. He said, not because of what you guys were studying, but he said you really bared down on the students. But he said, when you got a good grade from Pro- Professor Butte, it was something to really be proud of you. And he remembers you very fondly and wanted to say hello. Well, hello to Cray, one of my all-time favorite students. He <laughs> was a gem. My idea of every class I taught in the latter years was sort of improv night. I had a broad topic, but I hardly ever lectured. And we just threw ourselves into three hours and 20 minutes of improv on the topic for that night. And it just brought students alive. They had never experienced this before. They had always gotten some button-down professor hiding behind a lectern talking at them for that time rather than having a conversation with them. And I remember the class Cray was in. It was a graduate class, and it had 10 of the most fantastic, lively, self-educated, lifelong learners you could ever imagine. So so, okay, so what type of, like for an example, on one of those, uh, on one of those nights, what would you discuss? Well, with that group, We had a night that I was, it was uh, called The Life of the Mind. 
And it just so happened that I had been recently diagnosed with terminal cancer. And the, the film we were watching that night was The Seventh Seal by Bergman. <clears throat> and it is a story of a knight coming back from the Crusades and playing a perpetual game of chess with death to prolong his life, and he would eventually lose. But that's the kind of serendipity my life has been. Wherever I'm at, whatever I'm going through, I make it a teachable moment for my students. Would you, could you say that in a way there was, there was evenings or days with your students where you learned as much from them as they did from you? Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. And the joy of Metro State, in its first 20 years, the average age of students were people like you. Hmm. The average age was 36. Even today, the average is 32. So these people have been around the track. Right. They're not some young newbies that went to a suburban high school. They have been through the school hard knocks. So they don't bring all this book learning, but they have learned by living a life that's embedded and embodied with experience. So they what? just gravitate to bring their own life into an encounter with the materials of the course. Uh, that's, I could have never taught any place but Metro. You'd put me into McAllister or uh, Carlton. I, I would have gotten fired within six months. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Monty. What, uh, and I'm sure you've read hundreds of books, throughout your life, what are some, just give me two or three, that you would say to to a student first day in class, make sure at some point you read these three books? Well, perhaps the first would be The Odyssey by Homer. Mm-hmm. It is a book about a man's odyssey. And that's what I try to get each and every student to see their life as, an odyssey. You pick it up and you go through it. Another book that I would encourage students, it's little known, but it's W.E.B. Du Bois's Dark Water. Okay. I think it is his finest book. Others are much better known, but it includes his time of working at a Minnetonka resort as, really? a, it, as a servant, as teaching at a red clay Georgia school. Uh, it's at, it's him at his very best as a poetic essayist. Hmm. 
the third book, because of our time that I encourage everyone to read, is Hannah Arendt's Crises of the Republic. It speaks in short essays she wrote for the New York Review of Books. Many of her books can get pretty dense. But here she was confronting the late 60s and early 70s and what civil disobedience meant, what citizenship meant, how you did not need to use violence. You could bring down power. She has the idea that people who hold power don't realize that they are being empowered by the people under them. And the day that people under them realize they hold the power, not the power holder, their power crumbles and falls hmm. apart. Well, and it's in line with my theme song, Wall of Power, someday the high and mighty will fall, will fall. There will be no power brokers. <clears throat> uh, the wall of power will fall. So, Monty, now let's get here in the present day. Explain the, when I say kerfuffle, that's putting it lightly, but uh, the turmoil you're going through with your employer of 37 years, Metro State University. Well, we hired a new president five or six years ago and had the greatest hopes that she really got the spirit of Metro. And what we learned after the first few years is that she was a corporatizer. She wanted to turn us into a marketable entity and cared primarily about numbers. She had all the right language and all the fluff, but her regime was hideous and odious. And she made the mistake of creating a listserv that had free speech for every employee in the university. And it got very raucous at times. As I put in that article I recently read, rude, crude, and savagely confrontational. Mm -hmm. And those three discourses are what are time-tested measures to judge whether an institution or an organization really believes in free speech. And that's and you just kind of find what free speech is all about. Yeah, yeah. Well, suddenly we had discovered, and it wasn't widely known within the university, that outside consultants and top administrators were considering changing the name of the university to something more innocuous, like Minnesota State Twin Cities. Well, I started off an email thread that went on for days and had hundreds of comments from staff, faculty, other people, 
a rousing debate about this name change. Well, we carried this on, and then some things started happening after my retirement. The first thing was I was slapped with an anonymous complaint that I had violated workplace respectful workplace guidelines, which are spelled out in dozens of pages of Minnesota State bureaucraties, and that I was being brought up on charges. My accuser was anonymous. The judge wasn't a court of law. It was a secret court within the administration with bureaucratic judges. They had recently named me a professor emeritus. One of the privileges that goes with that is a continuing university email. Their punishment for my raucous uh, emails about changing the name was to shut down my email account and freeze it, so I had no way to speak to anyone. The second thing, free speech is a fine thing until it begins to threaten the undemocratic, bureaucratic power of a university. The president shut down this email free speech experiment and said it was doing too much harm to people. It was mainly doing too much harm to her. Well, it sounds totally Orwellian, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It does. And the last throw is after I retired, I was going to continue teaching a course a semester just as an adjunct or what we call community faculty. And I was scheduled to co-teach a course next spring called Rhetoric, Research, and Writing. And the program director, I was in the schedule, and the program director had a call from uh, the dean of the College of Liberal Arts. She informed the program director that she, the dean had removed me as a, an instructor for the course and had scrubbed me. I was now a non-person and no longer an adjunct or a community faculty member. Wow. So bit by bit, they kept putting nails in my campus coffin. I was a homeless person within my beloved university. We've got uh, Professor Monty Butte on for the whole night tonight. What a fascinating story he's telling us. Uh, we've got one more set with Monty. We're going to see how we out there in the Wall of Power Radio Land and AMAC 50 can help him. And uh, then we're going to get some great words of advice on life itself from the good professor. We're going to listen to a little music and be back with Monty for one more set on the Wall of Power Radio Hour.
Welcome back to the last set on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza, and our guest for the whole show tonight, Rabble Rouser Professor Monty Butte. So, Monty, you've got, I know when I was at your retirement party, and and I've read uh, quite a bit. I follow you on Facebook, and I suggest anybody follow Monty Butte on Facebook. He's got... Uh, uh, he's got his finger on the pulse of politics and more in this country. And it's Monty, like it sounds, M-O-N-T-E, M-O-N-T-E and Butte is B-U-T-E on Facebook. But Monty, so how can, or, or what I want to say was you've had during your retirement more, just dozens, if not hundreds of accolades from former students. That's got to make you feel good. It does. Before you go on, if someone is new to the full Monty, a way to also get a synopsis of my last 12 years, is there something on Facebook called the Monty Butte Fan Club? Nice. And it gives you in very condensed forms things I have written interviews I have done that are half hour long, etc. It will catch you up to things. No, one of my my favorite people is Miles Horton. Almost no one knows about him. But Miles was a mentor of mine. He was the man, he ran the Highlander Folk School. And six weeks before Rosa Parks sat down in the back of the front of the bus, she had been at the Highlander Folk School. Really? Martin Luther King had been there training. Stokely Carmichael. This was a place, and the one thing I remember about Miles, what he told me, he said, we're in the business of creating seeds of fire. And hopefully they will go out into the world and set off prairie fires. And that's what my teaching has been about. In one way or another, trying to reach every student. And whatever their passion is in life, how do they become seeds of fire and reach out to others? You know... Tell us a little bit about some of your uh, former students we might know, we might not know, but uh, you must be proud of some of them, and can you share? You know, you've got bragging rights uh, as, as their well, mentor. Oddly enough, I lived with Tom O'Connell in the late 70s, quite a character himself and a major leader in Minnesota. But in the give and take, a couple people who used to sit with us and plot their future careers were Mark Dayton and Paul Wellstone. Really? And those used to be, we never know who knew who the teachers and the learners were in those. But this is in the late 70s before 
Mark became Mark and before Paul became known as Paul and made the impact on the world. So teaching and learning are not something that are restricted to the classroom. I use every venue I can find to teach and learn. Um, what, do you, what do you feel, Monty? Um, I, uh, it's so hard these days to read the news uh, with the, you know, the GOP is just, you know, uh, they become just kind of a fascist organization. They want to curb voting rights, curb women rights, which they want to do all along. But now it's part of their platform. What do you how do you feel when you look at your your let's say your last generation of students? Let's say even as uh, recently as last year. Do you think there's still students out there that, that are ready to accept the challenges you put forth in your classroom? Absolutely. My hope is they are blossoming into on city councils, on nonprofits, on organizations. You know, over the 54 years that I was a director of organizing and a college teacher, the single most asked questions were roughly this. How can I lead a meaningful life? And I told them the one essential is to find a small group of like-minded people that lift your spirits. Durkheim called it collective effervescence. Hmm, I love that. And with that small group as your network, for me at one time, it was an AA group for 25 years. Another time, it was 25 years with 25 people running the Jobs Now Coalition. It has been one group like that or another that carried me on their shoulders. It's never been about Monty. It's been about bringing together like-minded people with deep spirits. This is a spiritual task. And even if this democracy goes down, there will be resistance fighters that carry on. There's a, a Netflix show I would recommend anyone to watch. I think it was Netflix or Prime. It's called The Man in the High Castle. And it was Philip Dix, the great science fiction writer, who wrote this counterfactual science fiction show that it was as if Germany and Japan had won World War II. And it's a story of an underground resistance that rises up and hides in the heart of the country to battle back against fascist rule. 
And my belief is that enough people have been awoken in the last decade that you will see a massive underground, something like the French resistance against the Nazis rise up. I have not lost hope, and I will not lose hope, even if Trump wins in 2024. Hmm. There is something in the American spirit There is something in this collective effervescence that will stand up and will eventually bring down that regime. That thousand-year Reich ended in five years. We will emerge victorious one way or another. It may be a long, dark march, and many of us may die in the process. But do not give up on the soul of the American people. And we remember with that uh, feeling and vibe you just laid out, the great gospel tune that... uh, that my one of my heroes, Pete Seeger, formed in a song called "We Shall Overcome," which brings me to my next question: Is as Bonnie Butte is looking out his window at uh, at your happy place, at your cabin, what kind of music do you listen to? Oh, I'm a throwback person. A song I still—that's my favorite. I hope you work into this show is the Stones' Sympathy for the Devil. (laughs) Who just played Minneapolis this week. (laughs) Um, I love Tom Waits. I can't get enough of him. Um, I love just so many people that I listen to, and most are oldies but goodies. They never go away. There was something about the movie... The songs of the 60s, 70s, and 80s that ring so true today because there are so many parallels between the 60s and the 70s and today. Uh, Another person I love listening to is John Hyatt. Yeah, love John. I've had the Hyatt's work, but I just love Hyatt. I've had the pleasure of uh, opening up for him a couple of times. A great. Have you really? Great, I can imagine yep. that. You'd be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, one of the great. And something that needs to come back and you need to listen to when the right takes over, Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> if if you want to get your blood rather. boiling and your adrenaline moving, listen to them. <laughs> Bonnie, you are on top of your game. It's such a pleasure to speak with you. I look forward to seeing you in person. And every time, every time we chat again, I got to tell you, I love you because you've been through so much. I never know if I'm going to be able to speak with you again, but I know I will. And it's a pleasure. Once again, I want to wish you good luck uh, with your uh, with your kerfuffle here with Metro State. That's not going to affect your pension, is it? 
Oh, man, I love you. My, <laughs> my, my parting line to all bureaucrats and thugs in the world, I cannot be silenced. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Professor Monty Butte, for sharing your philosophies of life teaching in the American way. It's really been a pleasure, and I hope to see you soon, my friend. Me too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What are you in my blue eyes? Of twelve misty mountains, I walked in that crowd on six crooked highways. Stepped in the middle of seven sad quarries. Now in front of a desert dead ocean, I've been ten thousand miles. In the mouth of a graveyard It's a heart 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 Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brett Johnson. We thank our guest, the wonderful Professor Monty Butte. My new book, Alphabet Jazz, should be out right around Thanksgiving. Follow me at paulmetza.com. It's a collection of prose, poetry, songs, and stories. I think you'll dig it. We'd like to also thank one of our great sponsors, School of Rock, Eden Prairie. And remember, like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. Hi.